This is Dan Fagella, and in this bonus episode of the AI and Industry Podcast, you'll be learning about the critical capabilities that any non-technical business person needs to understand to be able to advance their career and apply artificial intelligence within their industry, even if your company is not started on artificial intelligence yet. We interview this week Scott Nawson. Scott has a PhD in informatics from the University of Edinburgh. He worked in advanced analytics at Xerox Research and at Accenture, and now he is the artificial intelligence lead in the Middle East for PwC. Um, Scott has an uncanny ability to be able to boil down business lessons of artificial intelligence, and Scott is also one of the few people who got the full report, our Getting Started with AI report, before the formal launch. As some of you already know, if you're already on the email list, that report is finally open and launching now. Uh, In addition to releasing the full report, Getting Started with AI, which is essentially all the must-know knowledge for advancing your career as a non-technical professional in the era of artificial intelligence, essentially, what are the bits of knowledge that are going to raise your market value? What are the bits of knowledge that are going to make you a critical asset at the AI strategy table when your company starts to move into these projects and these new lucrative opportunities for artificial intelligence within your business and industry open up? How can you make sure that you capture them? That's what this report is about. But in addition to that, during the special release of the report, we're giving away a number of additional free reports and bonuses with the full Getting Started with AI report. And one of them is an AI career framework for non-technical professionals, essentially seven different career paths to be able to take advantage of the lucrative opportunity of artificial intelligence to essentially have a higher market value, whether you work for the existing company you're working for, whether you find work somewhere else or even in an AI startup? What are the critical bits of information you need to know? And also, what are the actual roles you can fulfill as a non-technical person who has a strong understanding of AI uh, to be able to help you take advantage of the new opportunities of artificial intelligence in the years ahead? As the years roll by, there will be legacy functions. There will be people doing legacy marketing, people doing legacy fraud, people doing legacy customer service, and there will be the folks at the cutting edge. There will be the folks who are part of the exciting projects, parts of the teams that are growing, not shrinking. And I know for our audience, being part of those teams and being part of those opportunities is a big deal. Um, So head over to emerge.com slash A1. That's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash A1. You can get the Getting Started with AI report. And if you visit that page by November 27th, which is when we close this sort of grand opening release period, you'll also get the AI career framework for non-technical professionals, which by itself will eventually be a $500 to $1,000 report once we're done turning it into its own full research report. But for right now, it's simply the set of frameworks, simply the set of new roles and opportunities that non-technical professionals can move into, worth its weight in gold, and it's being given away for free with the Getting Started with AI report. So that's emerge.com, E-M-E-R-J.com slash A1 to get the Getting Started with AI report. In this episode, Scott Nawson, who's one of the few people that got to read the full report before the launch, shares some of his insights on what he thought were some of the most important aspects and bits of content from within the Getting Started with AI report. He talks a bit about the proper and improper motives for adopting AI and what he thinks are critical for non-technical professionals to understand. And then secondly, he goes into critical capabilities in terms of data and teams and the sort of bits of knowledge that for him are most important to actually bring AI to life. This is the information that people don't understand. This is not the stuff that gets popular on Twitter, but it is the stuff that makes you valuable in the AI strategy room. And I know that from personal experience, being a non-professional person uh, who's 
you know, paid by large organizations to do this kind of work. So Scott's very kind in terms of his assessment of the Getting Started with AI report, shares some of the things that he thought were most important, as well as why he really valued the report, even as an expert himself. Uh, so without further ado, this is Scott Nawson with PwC here on AI and Industry. So Scott, we had talked a bit beforehand about the Getting Started with AI report. You're one of the few folks that's gotten their hands on the full thing beforehand. I, I got your copy all marked up with uh, with red pen there and things you'd highlighted and whatnot. And I know that the proper and improper motives for AI adoption was big for you. And off microphone, you and I have talked a lot about some of your struggles with really making sure business people understand kind of what is AI, why should we use it, et cetera. Maybe talk a bit about your experience with proper and improper like adoption motives and, and I guess why that's so important from your perspective. Thanks, Sam. Well, firstly, thank you for sharing the report with me. I really did enjoy reading it. I hope my, my feedback has helped in some way, but you're absolutely right. It's the choice to adopt. How do you adopt? When do you adopt? And really why? I think a lot of people are jumping in because AI is a buzzword. And we see this with blockchain and we see this with other technologies as well. But artificial intelligence is a big one. And, and I'm based here in the Middle East and it's really big here. The government are pushing for AI. Yeah, sure. Uh, everyone wants to adopt it because the government says we should. Everyone's jumping in feet first. But what we see is they haven't really thought it through. And, and this, I know this is having spoken to other AI people in other businesses around the world. This is a global issue. I, I don't mean to imply this is specific just to this region, but people just ask for AI as a solution for starters because they see it as a solution, some sort of silver bullet, which, which you mentioned in the report. And it's not. And people need to understand that you can't just say, build me an AI in this business because it's not that easy ai is is so many different things and i always like to turn it around i try not to get too precious because i'm a natural language processing person but i also do machine learning but i've dabbled in deep learning and you know it gets very nuanced i like to turn it around quite quickly with clients and say if i'm talking to an hr team for example i say it's like saying hr only has one job and there's only one thing. And they will quickly get that when you relate it back to them. But it really is about understanding more about the technology. And you don't have to know everything. I don't expect people to define algorithms, but if they can know a little bit more about what it does, then they can really start to understand where they would apply it. Yeah. And I guess, you know, when you think about that contextual knowledge of a little bit more about the technology. What are those little bit mores that are important? I know a lot of our audience, you know, they want to be the ones that get a little bit more out of that technology. I mean, they 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 want to be involved in the fun projects, not just the legacy parts of their business. They want to be involved in the transformative parts of their business, but they're not going to go back and get, you know, a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon in, in neural networks. What are those those contextual bits, those kinds of understanding that for, for you matter most and, and let people adopt AI maybe for the right reasons because they have that grasp. I would say to everyone what I would say to, say, our business and functional consultants and, and the guys that I work with who have an industry speciality, I don't need you to know everything. But if you know just that little bit more, then you can help to connect with clients. And it's really around understanding, first off, what are the capabilities? And are you talking about something that's related to 
a picture or a document or something that's vision-based? Do you want to process some language? Is it a data model and you want to make prediction? Because that in itself will steer you down a completely different road. You know, you can start to then build out what are the risks of AI? How do you build it into your larger strategy? But it all starts with what are the different capabilities? What are the limitations? And then you can start to have an educated conversation with, with some of the more naive business users, the people who understand the processes. Although I will say it is fair to say one of the first ways that you can really look to, to leverage AI in the short term is in those legacy processes, is in those unsexy applications and look for quick wins in that way while you then look at the value add and the new things that you can generate with AI. Yes. Does that, does that basically mean sort of a familiarity with use cases? You'd mentioned images, you'd mentioned you know, having some data that we could potentially predict off of. It seems like maybe the way that you'd be able to detect those kinds of opportunities as a business person is just knowing enough of the use cases and what it takes to bring them to life. It's kind of use case familiarity part of this fundamental knowledge for you that lets people know when is AI the right tool, when is it the wrong tool. Exactly. AI is a solution looking for a problem. And it really all starts, and, and this comes very much, you know, call it what you want to design thinking or customer-centric experience-centered. What is the problem that you want to solve first? And figure out how that maps. Is it a business process? Is it new product generation? And as you start to understand that problem, and there are many times where it comes down to me having to say, AI is not the solution that you need for this particular yeah. problem. Once you figure out that problem and you know where AI and different techniques have been used before, you're closing that gap about what you can apply where. Yeah. So I guess this moves us into sort of the proper motives for AI adoption. There is this strange and sometimes insidious pull towards what we call the toy applications, where we begin with the question, where can we use AI around here, which kind of implies that just plugging in a little bit of it to some dark corner, number one, that some light involvement at that level is actually going to make any difference in the business, and that we won't have to overhaul you know, data infrastructure and all these other things. But it also, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a solution looking for a problem. There's a lot of incentive to try to learn these skills to say, okay, well, we do kind of want AI and maybe we don't want to adopt it for the wrong reasons, but we do want to get used to these skills. We want to build this stuff. You had mentioned kind of making sure that it's the right problem fit. Is the exercise here really to look at what are the critical problems we're working on in the business? What are the critical goals we're trying to reach? And then sort of where among those key initiatives where we already have resources allocated, where is AI like the most snug fit? Is that maybe the best one-two for kind of how to find those opportunities without steering yourself in the wrong direction? Or how do you like to think about it? It really is that because you're right. It is really a long-term play. AI is going to be incredibly important to our lives. It's going to change the way we work and the way we do things. And that doesn't have to be destructive. It can be very creative. And so there is a large exercise that you'll need to undertake of getting your data ducks all in a row and getting the infrastructure there and getting your skills. But that's very much me coming to you and asking for a large investment and not yet being able to show what the return would be. But if you come at it from both directions, if you understand where the best place to deploy it first, 
is. And then you understand, okay, what are the, the take capabilities that are needed immediately? So maybe you're not going to look at any documentation or any language. So then you don't run out and hire five NLP specialists because you don't need them yet. And you start working backwards and looking, okay, what what data do we already have? What processes do we need to get in place? And having those key, those snug fits, as you say, the obvious, this is where AI is going to help. That's what really makes it tangible so that people are willing to then invest in this. Okay, we can see how we're going to get an ROI, but we're willing to now to put in the effort to scale up the team and, and understanding what that scale looks like. Got it. And so, yeah, hopefully this is a healthier frame for the folks who are tuned in to kind of think through in terms of what it would look like to adopt AI on their own side in terms of proper and improper motives. And to validate your point, I guess, on on not needing to know necessarily how all of it works, I think, you know, to some degree, some of the bigger consultancies are maybe a good example of this. I know that there's a lot of folks at PwC who have, you know, very strong academic backgrounds like yourself but I also know there's there's a lot of folks who simply just really get how AI works. They understand enough use cases. They understand what it takes to apply it. And those people, without writing a lick of code, are valuable in a big way to enterprises and businesses that need to apply this stuff. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Having that that business user who knows the technical terms, having that, it's the communicator. I used to call it and I used to describe my role as being that of a translator. Yeah, yeah, Understanding yeah. the business problems and understanding the technology and being able to map it in between. You don't need any of the technical capabilities. If you understand the domain and the business, that's an incredibly valuable skill because it gives you credibility. It gives you credibility not only to the technical resources that you're going to hire to build applications uh, for the clients or the internal stakeholders that you're going to sell or recommend AI to. It's all about that credibility. And so that role in the middle you just described, that is key to full proper adoption of AI in an enterprise. Yeah, and we, we, we know that to be the case to some degree also because we, we look at the, the referral sources to Emerge.com. A lot of our traffic comes from just web search, but outside of MIT Sloan, which is actually the, the biggest referral source to our site, we have a lot of people coming from MIT to Emerge's content. It's, it's like the PWCs and Accentures of the world that actually have just a tremendous number of backlinks and whatever their internal education sources are to to our various and sundry use cases. So it's clear that not all those folks are technical. They're just business people who, if they understand that context, can bring value to the projects they're working on. And I guess when it comes to value in those projects, I know the second topic that you wanted to highlight after being able to read through the report and provide some of your thoughts and feedback before the formal launch of the Getting Started with AI report was about critical capabilities. We tee up this topic as the idea that businesses are not really going to get an advantage from the first chatbot they build, the first fraud application they build, but they're going to build an advantage by leveling up these foundational skills around data, talent, teamwork, uh, culture that are going to allow them to be nimble and use AI into the future for whatever their future needs are. That it won't be it won't be one bullet that sort of really gives them the advantage. It'll be leveling up at this new foundation. When you think about the new foundation, when you think about the critical capabilities that have been important you know, in your work, you've obviously read the report, but you've got a lot of your own experience. Which of those do you think are most important, you know, that executives should consider as new foundational kind of skills and company assets? 
I think a lot of it, there's a big part of it, which is that team and, and building those skills, but giving them business direction and business accessibility. So related to what we were just talking about, you're going to want people who have the data science, who have the AI, who have the programming capability, but you want to make sure they're integrated with the business, with those translator roles, because at some point after you've hit your first couple of use cases, and you're right, the ROI might not be there immediately because you're taking on this big investment, yeah. you're going to need to come up with use case three, four, five, six, seven. And the best people to do that are that combination, those combination skills, the teams combined together, the technical folks who have started to learn the business, the business folks who understand AI and having that team integrated with what do we do as a business. So they're not just a function who sits in a back office. They're not just offshored or 100% outsourced. They're really integrated and understand your business. So having that is really key. But then the other point would be the data as well, because having starting to get your data engineering and your architecture in place, be that through a data lake or, or an enterprise data source or a knowledge base or something like that, that is what ultimately data scientists are going to want to see. Because I know a lot of people who've moved from, say, cross industry roles to single client roles. So single use case moving to a bank from a consultancy to a bank, for example, because they will be able to get data. They will be sitting on the bank's data. And so those more mature enterprises who've started addressing this will be able to attract that talent by saying, look, we may not have everything, but we know where our data is. We're undertaking these exercises. We know that you're going to want this and we need you to come and help us figure out how to use it. Yeah, there's all these smaller sort of insidious and tough to manage, but pretty obvious when you understand the connected parts, reasons that these critical capabilities are important. And actually, you're bringing up a really interesting and important one, which is your ability to attract talent. Even if you aren't necessarily leveraging all of your data in a new and powerful way. You're at least able to hire the right people to think through those problems when the data is even accessible. You know, I know for a fact that we've had a number of interviews on the AI and industry podcast where people have said, you know, the worst thing you can do is just throw a bunch of money at hiring a bunch of people straight out of Stanford and then have them kind of twiddle their thumbs for 24 months as the executives around them learn what AI is and as the rest of the entire team focuses on just cleaning up the ugly data silos we have, you know, and we're paying these people a third of a million dollars a year to kind of wait for a while, you know, we can't expect to retain them. And I, I guess what you're talking about is that even, even retention, you know, critical capabilities has to do with even retention. So these things kind of feed on each other in some way. Exactly, because that is key. Like give a data scientist and AI engineer some data and, and they can do it. They need the guide from the business. But if you don't give them data, then it is a very expensive resource. But the more you invest in them and you have the data ready, the more they're invested in your business. They understand how it works. And so those use cases and understanding become better. There's the risk of losing that if you if you don't have that in place. So it's finding the right places to invest first and starting small, undertaking that work with maybe a team of one or two mid to senior AI people who can guide you on what you're going to need and then growing the more junior team once you have the use cases and data sets ready to go. 
So maybe final point here on data, you know, you've really put an emphasis on this. And obviously, in terms of critical capabilities, it's something we double down on in the report as well. When you think about how people should sort of measure improvements in data, it's sort of tough to say, I guess, unless as a business or, or, you know, a team, you can kind of build a structure around this because, of course, we want to have some accountability metrics for the ROI of our AI applications, but we also want to be able to give ourselves a high five when we make data more harmonized, more accessible, you know, more usable for future AI applications. These are all parts of the ROI that, that people are ignoring but are part of the long ball that you and I are referring to, part of the things that are going to give some folks a career advantage if they genuinely understand. How do you measure you know, data improvement? Do you just kind of say it from the onset? Hey, we're going to build this basic fraud system. And in the process, we're going to aim to reduce false positives and false negatives. And we're also going to aim to harmonize these two disparate sources of, you know, payments data and make sure that by the end of the project, they're the same, because that's going to help us with all our future projects. Or, you know, we're going to have this other metric for data cleaning and harmonization by the time this project is done. Like, do we do we make it part of our success criteria? How do we make sure that we don't leave that stuff behind? You really do have to, and it really is a good combination. One client once said something many years ago that's really stuck with me. Nobody wants to be the guy whose career is known for just fixing the data and undertaking that exercise True. on his own. Yeah. He has to know where that ROI and where that how that success is going to be measured. And there are two ways to do it. One is starting, as you said, starting with the algorithm and making sure the data is cleaner and more streamlined such that the results of the algorithm or the use case, you can show that they improve simply because you cleaned up this data or you built a more robust data set. The other way of measuring it, and this is how we talk with sort of leadership teams, is once you've got something, once you have some application or use case of AI built on some data set, what we need you to do is ask more questions. To ask, can I do this? What if I wanted to do that? And that then forces that look back on what more data can we have? What more data do we need to robustly collect? What did we, what were we sitting on that we didn't know? And so that process of data creation or discovery or cleaning is then about answering one more stakeholder request, one more use case. And so simply measuring it that way in terms of how many things can we do and not just how well can we do each one. Yeah. Okay. So maybe this is a, a potential additional way to reframe things is thinking about that on the onset. So when we go into a project, have exactly that question in mind on top of you know how we're going to measure the financial ROI and then just kind of consider that as part of the win in some way. Yeah, exactly. Big time. Um, so, I, you know, in, in wrapping up here, Scott, I think your perspective is valuable in this regard. When you think about sort of the focus of the Getting Started Report is really trying to congeal some of this critical knowledge for the non-technical folks to be able to, you know, advance their own careers. When you think from your perspective as to why this stuff is is valuable to that crowd, how would you sum it up? You know, why this kind of insight and information might be useful in terms of, you know, career opportunity or, or you know, income, et cetera. One of the keys for me and one of the messages I'm trying to get across to clients these days is AI is hard and that's okay. 
but you have to make a start. What I really like about your resource pool generally, that you, you have an incredible set of resources for people to get started for reading, is the report, the Getting Started report really is a full end-to-end getting started. It covers so many different areas and touches on so many different things. And that could be overwhelming at first when someone picks it up and sees just the breadth of things you're covering. But these are all things that you need to consider. And when you read through it, they actually start to synergize really well. You start to understand a little bit more. I read it through two or three times and, you know, I'm a quote unquote AI expert. And there's still things in there that are just just to see them put down. And someone might be thinking, I, I wondered that, or I was thinking about how it might apply in this area. So it really is just a lovely breadth of topics just to get people started in thinking, these are the conversations we need to have. These are the directions we need to move in. Big time. Yeah. And the, the hope is that with that kind of context, you'd be able to sort of hold the marker at the AI strategy meetings when a lot of other people within a company probably are just not going to have that context. And I actually like that note to end on, Scott. I, I like your point, and I'll, I'll have to quote you on that one in the future. AI is hard, and that's okay. And I think one of the reasons it's okay is because as a business, if you're able to apply it right, you're going to pull ahead of the folks that are going to struggle with all these basic points. And I think career-wise, the same is the case. You know, If you're the person that understands these keys, you know, it's, it's not necessarily easy to grasp them without really distilling them well, and, and that could be an edge for you as well. So I, I like that point. I'll have to I'll have to quote you on that one. AI is hard and that's okay. <laughs> so so that's that's a good note to wrap on. Uh, keep that one in mind, folks. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll bring it up at some later point in the podcast as well. Scott, thanks again so much for being able to join us here on AI and Industry. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the invitation. So that's all for this episode. Again, be sure to visit emerge.com. That's E-M-E-R-J.com slash A1, A as in adoption, one, to get the Getting Started with AI report with the AI Career Framework for Non-Technical Professionals bonus report, as well as other additional PDFs that we're giving away for free during this special launch period. If you listen to this podcast after November 27th, you can still purchase the full report. But if you visit the page before the 27th or or by the 27th, you'll be able to get the Career Framework and the other bonuses along with it. Uh, We're really, really proud of being able to distill all of the best lessons for non-technical professionals into this specific report. Scott, I think, highlighted some of the reasons that he thinks this is critical for non-technical professionals. And I know for a fact it'll be valuable for you as well. You can go over to, again, emerj.com slash A1. This was a bonus episode. Starting again next Tuesday, we're going to continue our normally scheduled monthly series here on the AI and Industry Podcast. But I did want to get this bonus episode out because as I was getting feedback from Scott on the report, I realized he had a lot to share and I wanted to record it and put it in a special episode for you. So that's emerge.com slash A1 if you're interested in the report. Otherwise, I will be catching you next week here on AI and Industry.